I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm very happy to welcome into the studio my next guest, Alex Manns, who's the co-founder and CTO at Flyer. And I'm gonna I'm gonna spell that for you because it's a little bit of an unusual spelling. So it's it's Flyer as in Radio Flyer, but without the E. So it's F-L-Y-R. And if you want to go to a website, the B2B website is flyerlabs.com. Uh, Alex, give us the elevator pitch for Flyer. Cool. Uh, I'm Alex, I'm the co-founder and CTO at Flyer. And what we do with Flyer is we are really good at predicting what the price and availability of specifically airline tickets will do in the future. And we use that knowledge to either allow customers that are booking that travel have more flexibility in doing so on sites like TripAdvisor, um, or on the other hand, help airlines be better at pricing their airline tickets. All right. Well, let's start with the easier side of that, which is the consumer. Uh, tell me what the benefit proposition is to the consumer. Now, as you know, as a consumer, uh, when you're looking for buying an airline ticket, prices are very volatile. Mm-hmm. They go up and down all the time. And it's very difficult for a consumer to optimize to buy at the best time or if they need flexibility while finalizing their plans and they wait too long, prices spike. Mm-hmm. So what we do is by predicting what the price will do in the future, we can essentially give you an option or insurance for a small fee mm-hmm. to guarantee today's price. Mm-hmm. So let's take the example Um, Let's say you need seven more days uh, before you can finalize your plans because you're waiting for your work to confirm that you can take uh, a vacation or you're waiting for your paycheck. Um, On sites like TripAdvisor, we give consumers the ability to pay us a small fee, and in return, we will guarantee today's price. Mm -hmm. So even if the price spikes by the time you make your booking, we will cover that price increase. All right. So you are basically... Wow, it's a kind of mind-warping idea. So you're selling an insurance product, which means you have to have very good actuarial data model, essentially a very good model of what that price will be in order to know what bet to make. And uh, some of the time you're going to win a bet, sometimes you're going to lose a bet. Certainly, yes. So so, um, uh, most of the times we're right in forecasting how prices will move and price correctly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes we're wrong and uh, we lose money, of course. But on the overall, on the aggregate, we make money. Yeah, but the idea, so let me just make sure I, we, we get the scenarios right. So I actually, I need to fly to Albuquerque in a few weeks. I've, I, I don't yet quite know when I need to fly. So I could pay, what would I What would I pay? 30 bucks, 50 no, bucks? anywhere from four bucks to 20 bucks. I'd say an okay. average of $13. Wow, yeah. that's a great deal. So I pay th- uh, 15 bucks worth of insurance, let's yep. say. And if the price is lower um, than then. Well, in that case, I'm still I'm going to buy the ticket. Yeah. yeah. So let's say that yeah. today's price is three hundred dollars. Um, you pay us fifteen bucks, right. and we'll guarantee the price. If the if you in seven days end up booking at a lower price, great, you save money. Yeah, I just paid if, the fifteen bucks. Definitely. Right. And if, if the price went up, then you still pay the three hundred dollars. Right. Yeah. I pay the price that I the contract with, with that we agreed on. Correct. Yeah. And so you've got to know what's the probability that that what what's what's the distribution of outcomes for that price basically at Definitely. some point in the future yes. and yeah. and the interesting thing is that just like predicting price increases and pricing accordingly we also predict when prices are going down and you'd be surprised that about 35% of all tickets people buy online will actually go down in price after ah. you buy it so one thing we're doing for example is we're we're developing products where if you let us buy the tickets for you at mm. the right time if we forecast prices will go down, we're happy to give you a discount today. Uh-huh. That's how confident we are yeah. in our predictions. Well, that's basically what you're doing if yeah. you're buying, if you're selling insurance anyway. But yeah. but the um, okay, so I get that, and that's really cool. 
what does it look like on the airline side? Aren't they the ones who set the prices? Why would they care? Why would they want your your prediction? Well, so so the, our initial products like locking your airfare and optimizing when we actually buy the ticket on your behalf yeah. are solutions for the intermediaries. Um, and that's originally how we founded the company and, and what we focused on. Now, the last year, airlines started approaching us and saying, hey, you know, what you guys are doing is very interesting. You're basically reverse engineering mm -hmm. our yield management or pricing right. systems. Why can't you help us be better at removing these inefficiencies from the market? Mm. So JetBlue is an investor in the company, for example. Um, and we work with companies like JetBlue and other very large airlines now to really not game them or not, yeah. not arbitrage them, but help them be better at their pricing, which... Yeah. You know, for us as a company, it allows us to move up the value chain to the actual supplier, which has huge strategic value to us. All right. Okay, I'm going to ask you a personal question. How old are you, Alex? Uh, I'm 26. All right, 26. <laughs> so no one listening would guess that Alex is 26, right? Because he's a very articulate and an erudite guy. But I got to ask, how old were you when you started this company? I started this company about four years ago. So you're 22 years old. How does a 22-year-old come up with an idea like like this? Where did the idea come from? So I, I've always been traveling a lot. I mm. started my first company when I was 15. I skipped a whole uh, uh, college That thing. whole annoying college thing. No, yeah. exactly. exactly. <laughs> so um, I've always been traveling a lot. I was yeah. born and raised in the Netherlands, traveled all through Europe uh, and the rest of the world. And I always realized that prices are very volatile, yeah. basically indicating an inefficiency in the market. Mm -hmm. And initially, of course, um, like in computers, et cetera, I, I always thought, well, what if I can exploit the inefficiency to my own benefit and that of other travelers right. like me? Yeah. All right, so that was the idea. Yeah, so that was All right. yeah, and, the idea. And, and how does a, what did you have to do to convince someone to give you a few bucks to go test this idea? Well, so, so first, I, I, four years ago, I moved to the Bay Area because I've always wanted to do it in Silicon Valley. So I literally took my bags, told my parents goodbye, and I got on the plane to Silicon Valley. Does the, does the INS know about this? <laughs> I, I, these, are t these are challenging times, by the way. <laughs> I, I am luckily a permanent resident. Okay. But, um, uh, so I moved to Silicon Valley uh, to start the company, and honestly, initially, I had no idea how things worked. So I spent about nine months understanding how does the ecosystem here work, who do you need to know to get to investors, how do they judge you, how do they give you money, et cetera. And and um, about nine months in, I also uh, found my co-founder, who's much more experienced in, uh, in startups and in travel as well. Um, and I said, hey, you know what? Why don't we do this together? And um, uh, basically, fairly quickly after, in mid-2014, we raised our first round of capital from investors, a seed round. And since then, I think the total we raised is about $14 million. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, you would almost say it gets easier over time, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, you still have to hit your proof points and, and make your goals um, uh, every single year and make sure you don't run out of money mm -hmm. and uh, that you you know you prove your worth to you know, the market your customers and your investors yeah and and Alex is being a little modest here in the sense that his investors are very impressive and I'm gonna have you talk a little bit more, more about it but in 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 the most recent round you Peter Thiel was uh, one of your investors and you have JetBlue as an investor I mean, so these are quite impressive investors relative to what what you're doing here uh, um, what did you have to prove to them in order to get their confidence yeah, yeah so I I think depending on the stage that you're at, the, the requirements are different, right? So when, when I was new to Silicon Valley and we had nothing, we had to go to seed investors. And mm -hmm. seed investors really look for, do they believe in you 
as a person and as a team to succeed at the things you believe in, right? Is the, is the vision bold enough? Do we believe in the vision? Do we believe in the person? So our first round was led by a company called Streamline Ventures, a very, very good uh, a seed fund led by Ulas Nike, great investor. Um, and the second round uh, that we did, the big round more recently, was led by you know, a big established investor like Peter Thiel. Um, alongside of which we brought in strategic investors like JetBlue and Amadeus and other companies um, that are in the travel space. Now, with the latter round, what we needed is we needed to have proven that our initial vision and ideas about the product we were going to build were actually achievable, right? So by the time we raised this round, we had launched with TripAdvisor and many other customers, um, uh, proving that what we were going after was actually feasible, that customers wanted it, and that we could make money in doing so. Um, so yeah, so we went kind of from a vision pitch and do we believe in the people behind the company at a seat round to a, uh, a more solidified, you know, proving the business model, proving that you can make money, proving that you can excite and, and, and get happy customers along the way uh, in raising our Series A round. Mm -hmm. Alex, tell us a little bit. I, I have not uh, yet seen the product in my own purchases. I mostly purchase because I, I very repeatable routes. I mostly purchase on the airlines' sure. websites. But uh, where where do you actually acquire the customer on the consumer side? Yeah. Yes. So so initially, like many startups, we thought, oh, we're going to build the next Priceline.com. Yeah. Right? The trick, the, the trick there is that it's way too expensive to acquire customers in a very competitive space. So what we did is we said, okay, let's build a solution that we sell on the sites like Priceline and mm. TripAdvisor mm. and JetBlue. Mm. So what we did is we started partnering with companies like TripAdvisor. And uh, what happens today if you do a search in the TripAdvisor mobile app, for example, uh, and you find your flight, not only are you presented the option to book that flight, if you need more time to think about it, there will be a second button that says lock this uh, price powered by flyer and what this does it does it gets us much more much cheaper distribution of course we do a revenue share agreement with our partners mm -hmm. like TripAdvisor um, uh, but it allows us to scale the business much much faster uh, than it is to acquire a customer base like TripAdvisor mm -hmm. yeah so I'm I'm actually an angel investor in a in a in a company that's similar in some ways a company called try uh, try.com that allows you to try on apparel on a on a retailer's website and it's essentially a financing. It finances a purchase effectively. But the thing that's been really struck me by that company is, is just how tough the sales cycle is. Because you've got to sell to a big established company yes. and, and, and get them to take a risk to put something on their website. Talk to us a little bit about the sales cycle and what's a pretty concentrated industry with probably some pretty slow uh, yep. decision makers. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, many of these companies are public, yeah. right? Uh, which you know, gives an indication of their size. I think the very first couple of sales we did, or partnerships we established, like with TripAdvisor, um, really were similar to our seed investment round, mm. where really you build a relationship with the product team, the people on that product team. You convince them of the beliefs you have so that they start sharing it, after which they are willing to allocate uh, a set of resources to do an integration against your product. That's kind of step one. Then after you get your first set of customers, it becomes much more about um, ROI and performance and how much does it drive to the bottom line mm -hmm. or how much does it excite my customers. And that becomes easier when you can share the performance data from your initial set of customers, right? So those first one or two large partners or customers are key in securing the rest. And this is something we also find with airlines, right? Airlines are even more legacy mm -hmm. and, and slow going when it comes to adopting new technology and new approaches. And particularly with airlines, we find that this is true where you need one or two airlines to kind of partner with you visibly mm -hmm. before the rest is even willing to knock on your door. Yeah. 
How how hard is what you do technically? I mean, I'm thinking about the airlines have way more data than you do, I would think, right? Actually, actually they don't. Okay. And the interesting thing, so what we do is we, on a proactive basis, we track the markets, mm-hmm. right? So an airline knows really well what they do themselves and how they price their airline tickets, although I can argue that some of them don't. Right. <laughs> um, what we do is we basically proactively acquire every single price on almost every single flight worldwide every single day. I see. So you scrape, you're scraping websites. Or you, there's, uh, I actually, there's an interchange. Right? There's a, there's yeah, a data so, standard, right? Correct. Yeah, so yeah. We, we buy it in bulk, sometimes from the airlines direct, yeah, sometimes from yeah, intermediaries. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we use this data to basically train our AI or machine learning systems on, on patterns, mm-hmm. right? So that as soon as something happens in the market, our system is able to recognize a trend mm-hmm. and therefore forecast what's going to happen next. Um, and we essentially use different types of data. We use the raw fare data, use availability data, but also we track what are people currently searching for and what are they buying? Because that's an indication of demand. And if you forecast demand and you forecast demand better than the airline itself does, which they're not very good at because they only look at their own universe of flight. They don't look at the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get at forecasting demand, it becomes much easier to forecast price changes because if demand rises, um, then prices will rise. Mm-hmm. If demand decreases, prices will drop. Mm-hmm. So being able to track that makes things a lot easier for us to operate. Um, so yeah, we have this huge archive of data. We, we capture about 250 million airfares per day. Wow. And we've been doing it for three years. Yeah. Now there was a, there was a startup Founded by a computer science professor, I don't know what Faircast, I think it was called, Correct. right? And how how aware were you of their experience, how they did yep. things? And and as I recall, they were acquired by one of the big Microsoft by Microsoft, yeah, yeah. Uh, Microsoft uh, Microsoft acquired them and shuttered the business shortly yeah. after. Um, yeah, and was that to protect? Exp- it was ex- I, I don't know what, well, what was so, your explanation? So, so Faircast yeah. never really went beyond telling a user whether it was time to that's buy all it did. or wait. Yeah, that's all right? it did, yeah. What we feel is that, particularly that technology has become better and our confidence has increased mm-hmm. and we're able to predict for specific flights you're interested in what's going to happen instead of you know New York to San Francisco. Right. Um, we, we realized that the only way to really productize this is by putting our money where our mouth yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, it's right? amazing. So yeah. we take 10 bucks of your money and we'll guarantee you price, right. or we will guarantee you a discount if you let us book it at the right time, mm-hmm. right? So we go one step further and we productize the actual prediction capability instead of just giving it to you and only adding to the information overload. Great. So, so Alex, I was teasing you a little bit before the before we went online that you were a virtual Teal Fellow because you decided you didn't couldn't be bothered with with college. Your bio says you started uh, high school at eleven. So uh, uh, clearly, quick study, very good self self learner. Uh, but but you're 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 the CTO. You're a very tech savvy, uh, analytical kind of guy. T- talk to us a little bit about college and whether college is overrated. Well, I, I can I can judge if college, college is overrated because I didn't go to one, so I don't have. I well, don't, I don't walk have both, us through your thinking. I don't yeah. have both views. Yeah. But for me, um, I've I've always wanted to build things and create things mm-hmm. or experiment with things, mm-hmm. um, and computers are a great way to do that. Yeah. Right. Starting with websites, building computers, um, and then moving into, um, in my case, network security. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. My, our school, high school. Uh, networks were always my favorite playground yeah. when I was in high school. So I kind of naturally went into network security after that. Um, I learned a lot about how to build product and how to not do business. Mm-hmm. And I quickly realized <laughs> that um, my strengths lie in building really great complementary teams and building product, mm-hmm. uh, preferably complex technical products, um, which is also why I brought on board a co-founder when I moved to Silicon Valley. Yeah. I, I, want, I knew I was going to have to focus on technology. Mm-hmm. Um, now, 
I think what has most shaped me skipping college and going straight into trying to build a business and startups uh, is particularly the fact that I've learned most from my mistakes, right? Um, by just making them, mm-hmm. right? You don't know what you don't know until you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really helped in my case. I, I, I'm never afraid of just, you know, leaping mm-hmm. forward and, and trying new things, even if I haven't done them before. I think I have enough confidence for that. Uh, and that's really helped me. It's also, you know, uh, 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 it also hurts at times when, you know, you get things really wrong, even after you're very convinced you've got it right. Um, so I, I think... If you have the interest level and energy level to, to and belief in yourself to try new things, even if you have like, you know, no direct support or reference for it, um, I think anything is achievable as long as you don't give up. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that really helped in my case uh, and allowed me to skip college but still acquire the knowledge I need. Yeah. And, and on a related theme, sometime after founding, I, I may not get this quite right, but you then brought on a CEO. Yes. And and talk a little bit about that decision and and how you felt about it mm-hmm. and whether it was well you're not going to say it was the wrong thing to do I'm sure at least yeah. don't worry no one's listening. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, like I mentioned right I I realized when I already moved to Silicon Valley that I would have to be focused on the technology side mm-hmm. and it was only further emphasized by realizing that you know U.S. is very different to operate in than Europe is in general right people look at business and entrepreneurship quite differently. Um, uh, particularly in Silicon Valley, you know, you do need to know the right people. You do need to have some level of experience uh, for people to put money uh, in your business. So I uh, I went into Jean. Uh, Jean is my co-founder and our CEO. Um, about nine months after I moved to Silicon Valley, and um, uh, he initially started advising. And two months later, he basically said, "Listen, you know, you're advising me full time, and you know, you know the industry. You've done this before. You've raised money before." Uh, he, he raised like a lot of money for uh, a previous company he was involved in yeah. uh, good technology. Yeah. Um, and basically, uh, he joined in as a full-time co-founder. He took over operations and commercial and compliance and those kind of things while I completely focused on assembling an engineering team uh, to build our core product. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was, that's, that's uh, actually, it's a, it's a remarkable and often missing skill. And an, and an entrepreneur and a founder is to know what you don't know and to know what the complementary skill set is. So it's 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 to your credit. Um, can you can you, you mentioned Netherlands versus U.S. Reflect a little bit on what's different in the U.S. What you find and and pluses and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Well, so to give an example, like yeah. in in um, in the Netherlands, right? My the first company I started, um, I managed to raise money somehow um, and and build up that company, but that company failed. Mm-hmm. Right? We had to shut out the company. And in generally, the standard reply in the Netherlands would have been, you know, I told you so, you should have gone to college, right? <laughs> now, I'm sure that, that this applies in many places, but, yeah. but in the Netherlands and in Europe in general, I always had the feeling that um, standing out and then failing mm. always results in I told you so. Well, here in the U.S., I believe there's much more of a culture of, you know, um, thinking big doesn't have to be a big problem uh, if you put your you know weight behind it, and even if you fail but you try it really hard, mm-hmm. you know people aren't going to blame you as much mm-hmm. for for failing. And um, people really have a drive here uh, uh, and an attitude, you know, that anything is possible. And you know, I I think that that's a little bit more dimmed mm-hmm. in, in in Europe in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that I have to say that you know startups in general and tech startups, there are some really good hubs developing in in, in Europe that do think different um, than what I, you know, kind of my initial company, uh, uh, what happened there and what, what I learned. But 
yeah, I, I think that's one thing that attracts me to the U.S. Like in general, like it's it's you know they say it's a land of opportunity, but I think it's also very much a mindset. Good. Uh, all right, if the White House is listening, immigration again, it's, a, it's been a theme on this show, which is immigrants are are, le- are leading our, are leading our economy. Alex, thanks so much for making the time and for coming in. It's super interesting. Thank you. All right, to keep up with Flyer, visit the website flyerlab.com. I'm Carl Ulrich. Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.